Welcome back to another episode of Brawn and Brains. Today, I'm so honored to be speaking to Kat Cole. She is the COO and North American president of Focus Brands, the owner of Cinnabon, Auntie Anne's, Jamba, and other casual fast food locations. Kat Cole has been living in Atlanta for a while, but her story started in Jacksonville, Florida, where she became a hostess at 17 at Hooters to save for college and soon made her way up the ranks to management and eventually was asked to travel internationally to start a new franchise. And at only 26, she became VP at Hooters. Later on in her career, she definitely continued to make a name for herself. And in 2010, she became president of Cinnabon. Do you want to give us a little pitch about yourself? Sure. Kat Cole, COO and president of Focus Brands, an executive, longtime executive for uh, franchise, retail, and consumer brand companies. I'm an investor and advisor to high growth, small and mid-sized businesses. I am a mom of two and avid connector in various communities. That's awesome. So when I did a little bit of Googling about you, I found out um, going back all the way to when you were growing up in Florida, you grew up with a single parent. How did this shape you? She'd mean a few ways, not so much because it was a single parent, but rather the single parent that I had. Some people grow up with a single parent and it's um, not necessarily a positive experience. And I'm one of the fortunate ones where it was. My dad was an alcoholic. We left him when I was nine years old. I helped raise my two sisters who are three and six younger, three and six years younger than me. And my mom was just an amazing example. She was incredibly positive. She was highly resilient. She fed us on a food budget of $10 a week for three years uh, and many, many, many other benefits. But so that all led to me seeing an incredible example of a woman and a leader and someone being self-sufficient. And it also forced me to take on leadership roles and responsibilities at an incredibly young age. So I would say that is a few of the ways that it was formative. Do you think that's impacted you in the way you raise your own kids now? Yeah. I mean, not specifically in the way I raise them because I I am married and have a very healthy partnership with my husband. So I am not forced to do the things that my mom was forced to do. At the same time, the version of me that my children witness as a human is direct consequence of who my mother was was and is as a person and who she was as a single parent. So lots of love, but very direct and to the point, always having fun, just lots of positivity. So, you know, in that way, who I am is a reflection of that. But my parenting, again, my kids are very young, they're three and one, and we left my dad when I was nine. So that period of time is very different than the period of time my children are living through. But in the sense of who they have as a mother. It's a direct result of that period. That totally makes sense. And when you were being raised, were you raised in Jacksonville or did you go to college in Jacksonville? Both. Yeah. I grew up in Jacksonville, was born there, stayed there until I was 
20, uh, which is when I left college. So I was yeah. in college uh, for a couple of years and then dropped out since I was traveling around the world, opening franchises. And then when I got to Atlanta and grew my career, I later went back to school and I have a master's without a bachelor's. So I went to college and graduated this time in Atlanta, Georgia State. Awesome. That's so cool. I hear Atlanta's super duper interesting. I see it's on the news a ton, obviously. (laughs) As for college, you spent your college days working in the food industry at Hooters. And do you think this affected your leadership style and how you view the industry? Yeah. One, I think the way it's affected me is I was a frontline employee. So I will always have respect for the work that's done behind the scenes, that's close to the action, that's close to the customer. I never forgot that as I moved up into supervisory roles and management roles. And so in that regard, being an hourly employee, being a waitress, being a bartender, being a cook, all of the roles that I filled was incredibly formative and drove a level of um, respect and a feeling of connect uh, connectivity and always empathy for people who are doing the real work, even as a leader many, many years later. That's awesome. And you went from working um, in the food service industry to like corporate America pretty quickly. Was this a big surprise to you or a hard adjustment? Or do you think you were ready to keep moving up the ranks as quickly as you did? It was the answer is yes to all of those. It was a big surprise. It was a hard adjustment and I was ready. (laughs) Those things aren't mutually exclusive. So I didn't expect to move up in restaurants. I was going to college to get an engineering degree and my plan was to go to law school. So the opportunity to move up on the corporate side of things was certainly not my plan, but I took the opportunity when it was sent my way. And so I quit college and I had just quit college. I moved to Atlanta for the job and I started a corporate career. And so it's not an or, it's an and. I was really excited to lean into all the opportunities that would create. And as the company grew, I grew. That's awesome. And so you said you dropped out of school your first time before going back to get your MBA and graduating in Georgia. When you did decide to drop out of school, how what was like the deciding factor on all that and diving headfirst into that work world? The deciding factor is I was traveling so much, opening franchises around the world, I failed. Mm-hmm. I literally was failing. So I think that's a great reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they would not accept me <laughs> continuing. Yeah. And I mean, I could have made it up, right? I could have gone back. I could have started over. I could have made up the classes that I missed, but I had a compelling alternative. I was opening up businesses around the world at the age of 19. And there was a lot more of that to come in front of me. And that was flat out more exciting than continuing in college. So I chose to not make up my classes, which would have required me to stop working anyway, which I could not have afforded to do. And I chose to take the job offer to go to Atlanta to work in the corporate office and grow as the company grew. That's so cool. So was it difficult for you to hit back to the classroom once you were in Georgia? Like, were you nervous at all? No, I mean, I had been in leadership for 10 years. Like there was a long time frame that passed between mm-hmm. when I dropped out of college as an undergrad at 20 and when I went back to school for my MBA, which was when I was 29. So I was a very different person. I was nine years in corporate America. I'd been leading large teams around the world. I was genuinely excited to get my MBA. I was in school nights and weekends. I was a vice president of an $800 million company. So really can't compare 
the two, even the two life stages. One was straight out of high school, going to college, working as a waitress. The other is being an executive of a global corporation, going to school nights and weekends for a business degree. Why did you feel like you had to go back and get your MBA if you were already um, doing all those things in leadership? I didn't feel like I had to go back at all. I wanted to. I talked to a few people who gave me some really great advice and they said, look, you're you're so well known in your industry. You're already an executive in the industry. If you want to get more high level roles in the industry, that's going to be easy. But if you ever want to break out and go do something completely different without advanced degrees, again, this was 2008, 2009, 2010. I think it's a little different now. But if you want to go into those different industries, you're not going to make it past their HR filter for a C-level job by not having an undergrad, much less an MBA. And when I realized it is rare but possible to get a master's without a bachelor's, that was such an easy choice for me. Like I didn't have to. I already had a really great paying executive role that I love, but why would I want to have doors closed to me Yeah, if they didn't have to be? Yeah, I totally see that. I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit, but I think that's a really healthy way of seeing education. A lot of times I think that at least I'm, so I'm right out of college. I graduated from Penn State in May. And obviously this has been a little bit of a crazy time. So a lot of my friends have been going back to school and it's so interesting seeing people, I think for a while we in America were like, well, we don't really have to go to college. Like we were really fostering this idea for a short period of time. And now that this pandemic hits, I'm interested to see the impact between how many more of my friends and how many more people are going back to grad school or law school coming right out of their undergrad, not because they have a healthy um, relationship with education, but because they have to because they can't get a job. So I was like asking people why they decide to get their MBA. And was it after you got your MBA that you switched to Cinnabon? No, I had, I started Cinnabon before I graduated. So I had started my classes when I was an executive at Hooters. I took the role as president of Cinnabon in between there and then graduated after I started at Cinnabon. Okay. And that's all like really high up in the company. How do job offers like that work? Like, is it all by word of mouth or do you go on LinkedIn like everybody else and apply? How Mm -hmm. did switching your jobs work in that stage? I think it works less mysteriously than people think. Sometimes an executive level job is posted. Go on LinkedIn and look up COO or CFO or CIO. You'll see roles, right? Some are posted. Others, they try to do kind of a what is considered a confidential search using recruiters or reaching out to their network and trying to get a sense of who might be interested. Sometimes that happens because there's sensitivity to the company or to the role or to what's changing that's causing the need for a role. But executive level positions like that have similarities to other positions. They might just be, as for the reasons I just explained, posted a little less often. It's not like, here's a buffet of CEO jobs, you know, (laughs) come, come apply. And often are extended to people within the company who are already executives, who are ready for the next level. But it, it varies widely. And in that case, I had done a lot of work in the industry, volunteering, helping other people in other companies and supporting the, the restaurant industry, the franchise association. And through that, I met many other leaders, many other private equity firms, 
They got to know me. I got on their radar as someone who could be interesting to work with down the road. And so when the company was aware that they would be needing a replacement for the president of Cinnabon, someone from the private equity firm reached out to me and said, hey, I think you could be really great for this. You should interview. You know, For jobs like that, people don't call and say, hey, you should take this job. And somebody's like, cool. And then I got it. There are typically very stringent interview processes because there's a lot of risk and you're taking on a a very public role. And so what's in your background? What are your capabilities? What do we need to make you successful? How do you compare to other people who might be equally qualified just in different ways? It's typically just a more complex process and longer. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I've always been so interested because you're right. You do see them like occasionally on LinkedIn, but I'm like, that's, it's kind of crazy when you see that because you wonder who's applying to that. And again, going back to that role, how difficult was that transition while getting your MBA? Did you feel like it was extremely overwhelming or was it something that you could handle? No, I mean, it's not as if I was in two executive jobs and getting my MBA. I was already an executive and going to school nights and weekends. I just became an executive of a different company and I was yeah. going to school nights and weekends. So the the schedule or the, you know, the work because it was nights and weekends, that didn't change. The school investment didn't change. It was just what I was doing during the day that did. Awesome. And how far apart was the transition from Cinnabon to overall focus brands for you? I was president of Cinnabon for four years and then I became uh, group president of Focus Brands Licensing and Consumer Packaged Goods Division. So technically four years. And then I was in that role for two years and then I've been COO and president for four years. That's awesome. That's really quickly, right? For the progression of roles is how often do you see that happen? Like with other women in the industry, do you see other females around you progressing at the same rate or do you think that's kind of rare? I would say the the level of progression is less related to gender and more related to the growth of a company, right? If you're working okay. in a company that's not growing, mm-hmm. there's less progression. And yeah. some companies are shrinking, some companies are flat, other companies are growing. So maybe a fairer comparison, if it were to be apples to apples, is are women moving up in similar high growth companies? And I think the answer is yes, but some of those companies are bigger. So of course they're not rising all the way to the level of CEO of like a fortune 100 company as often. I'm seeing a a lot of women continue to move up into general leadership roles, but if at a certain level, like the VP level in some companies, there are less of them to begin with, you're still going to see the ratio of male to female in the C-suite not be at parity, at least not at this stage. That makes sense. It's nice to hear, though, that you think other women are growing into stages of leadership. It's I interned at a bank last summer. I was interning at Goldman Sachs, and it was so interesting because I worked personally with a ton of a ton of women. It was really awesome. But all the way at the top, it was mostly it was mostly white old white old guys, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was so cool just kind of seeing there's more and more women the lower down you went. But I knew it was because they started to hire or more women started to apply, whatever it may be. So I hope within the next like 10 or 15 years, those higher positions, things start to even out and you start to see more women in roles that I would like to have one day and people that I could relate to. Do you have any advice on work-life balance? Because obviously this is all a lot. (laughs) I just, I think like many people who get asked this question, 
there is no such thing as balance, like expecting there to be some perfect scales that are barely out of sync is just not practical. Our personal lives aren't ever in stasis or balance. Our work lives aren't in stasis or balance. So the blend of those, the blend of those two really never could be. So my point of view is I find my own harmony, what works for me, different stages of life, make that pie of blend of work and home life very different. In my earlier years, when I was single and traveling around the world, I, I mean, I, I think I was working literally 70% of my waking hours and I loved it. It was perfect and it was healthy and it was energizing and I learned a ton and I could do that at that stage in my life. And then I went through a stage where I had a long-term partner and personal life was more in my forefront. And so I dialed down the extra hours, you know, the nights and weekends, that wasn't what was best for me or most fun for me. And, and, and then that changed and I took on a new role and I needed to be at work more, you know, it just ebbs and flows. I think the key is just knowing where you are and any given moments. If you have health concerns, you've got to spend more time taking care of your health and you probably shouldn't be working into the middle of the night and, and cutting into your sleep. But if you're healthy and you're feeling good and you have the time and energy, you know, lean in, lean into work. It's just about what makes you feel good and how you define success. Now I'm married. I have two kids, three and one, and I really enjoy the protected time with them. So in terms of time management, my husband and I really craft the hours when we work. But I think like most people, my life's not just work and home. I have volunteerism. I have mentoring. I have podcasts. I write. I advise. I'm on boards. So all those things take time. Plus, I need to take care of my health and be a good friend and a good sister and a good daughter. And so figuring out all the little pockets of time that I have at my disposal and then making sure I'm using them in a way that makes me proud is sort of my hack. Yeah, that's really awesome. How do you, how are you able to say no to anything? I feel like you have so much on your plate and you really embrace opportunity. Is it ever difficult for you to say no? Well, it may look like I do a lot, but I say no to a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I say no when it doesn't feel like it serves me, when my time is better spent doing something else. Sometimes the way I say no is by saying, you know, not me, but this person or not now, but later. Uh, So sometimes I say no by saying yes, just not now or not for this thing. I've found different ways to say no. And sometimes I just, no, no is a complete sentence. And if people get all bunched up about it, it's not my problem. (laughs) I like that a lot. Uh, If you could give any advice to your 22 year old self, what would it be? Just keep going. You know, life is ended up great. It could be what better. It could be worse. I'm so grateful for where I am. And I'm one of those people that believes if you alter almost anything in your past, it would remove being where you are now. And so they're all steps to where I am. So I really wouldn't tell myself to change course just to, you know, keep leaning in. And when I was 22, I had been in the corporate world for two years and was leading teams and was had already traveled to four continents, opening businesses around the world. So I was doing at 22 what most people are doing at 30 and was having a, a really good time doing it. So I would just give myself a high five. That's awesome. If you could be in any other field, what field do you think you'd be in right now? Hmm. Probably teaching in some way. 
That's awesome. And now I'm going to move on to questions from polls. So a ton of people asked me questions over Instagram, but I'm only going to read off two of them because I know we are pretty crunched on time right now. So do you think that Travis Scott shouting out Jamba Juice increased sales? Yeah, I don't know how it couldn't. I mean, we're so grateful. He loves Jamba. So does his boo. And and that's been, you know, really great for the brand. It's also cool when it's just authentic. Like when somebody, there's no product placement, there's no marketing partnership, you know, he just, we got so fortunate with psycho mode and, and in general, there's been far more than that, but certainly that was a, a big version of his shout outs for Jamba. And certainly it makes the brand even more relevant that it's a favorite um, of his and even more relevant that he mentions it. So I can't imagine that it didn't. We have no evidence that it did, right? People walking in and going, I heard Travis say this, so I want to buy a mango a go-go. But at the same time, I can't imagine that it didn't have some positive impact. Yeah, I could totally understand that. Be it would be interesting though, if you could get that data, if people would like check mark right before they ordered, like, are you ordering just because if you heard, you heard Travis, saw, <laughs> Travis Scott singing recently. And then another question is, are you sick of any of the food yet? And this question came off of people were seeing you sending Cinnabon to other people on Twitter. So they were wondering, are you sick of the food yet? Because you keep sending it to other people. No, I mean, I think sending it to other people is an indication I really love it. <laughs> I wouldn't send it to other people if I didn't like it. And and by the way, sending it to other people doesn't mean there's less for me. You know, <laughs> it's not like there's a fixed number of cinnamon rolls and I'm just trying to get rid of them. They just keep making more. <laughs> so yeah. no, the food's all super fun. I mean, I can't have a giant cinnamon roll the size of my face every day. And we have other brands. I have, I probably mows the most often because it's a lunch and dinner brand. It's, I can make really healthy burritos and bowls and other, like that's the brand I eat the most often and it's founded in Atlanta. So there's a lot of them here. So no matter where I am, it's very easy to find Moe's, but every once in a while I'll mix it up and have our other brands. That's awesome. Moe's is right next to the Naval Academy in Annapolis, which is where my family volunteers a ton. And whenever the midshipmen can't leave their military base. They always ask for Moe's because it's right on the other side of the gate. So I only had it recently, but um, like since I moved to this area, which was, I was 16 when I moved around here. And growing up, I grew up in Germany um, because my dad's in the military and on one base called Ramstein, I don't know if there still is, but there was a Cinnabon. There was for many years. Was younger, yeah. When I was younger, I remember driving, my parents would drive us it was a pretty long drive from my base, which was Heidelberg, but they would drive us just to have Cinnabon because we never, we never didn't have any like American treats yeah. around me or around my base. So Cinnabon is definitely, definitely a household name, even, even over there for me. It was really cool mm -hmm. speaking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Of course. My pleasure. How, I hope you have a great week and thank, thank you. you again for being on this podcast. Yeah. If any of you guys want to connect with Kat, I would recommend checking out her Twitter. That's what I follow her the most on. I also love hearing her speak on Clubhouse. If any of you guys have that, you could definitely see when she's speaking. Again, normally it's posted on Twitter. And if you have any questions about the podcast, please continue to reaching, please continue to reach out on the Instagram, which is at Brawn and Brands. Thank you so much and have a great week.